0: Command in, Lake Hick is Live. It is Sunday night, December 18th, the year of our Lord 2022. Proudly brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. You know, it's, it's December 18th, and Pate State still has not lost a soul to the portal, but we have added several. Thus, the benefit of not having a cap. We have no numbers crunch here. We are jam-packed, high a festive, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. College football playoff predictions tonight, before this show goes off the air. I'll tell you who I think is going to win both games. May even be right. We'll see. National Championship, that's down the road. National Signing Day is like 72 hours away. It's this Wednesday. We're all going to head to Fort Lauderdale eventually. But in the meantime, I'm going to deliver the latest intel, latest buzz, whispers. I got four classes, at least, for you to keep an eye on. We got several transfer portal moves happening, even as we speak. We got a lot of intel there. I got some coaching stuff, and I got some program stuff, too. Just some programs that I think, if we were buying stock, I really think I would lean into them right now. They're watching us in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Jupiter, Florida, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, Mobile, Alabama. Some of you who were perusing the socials yesterday saw that the Ramen Noodle Express veered right back onto the tracks. We took North Texas plus the points, and they lost, but they lost close, so we won. So we're 1-0 in bowl season. I just want to let you know, we will not have picks on the show tonight, but you really better be following at Josh because I have several, not one, not two, but several bowl picks coming. Just keep that in mind. We're waiting for line movement and we don't have a show every two hours, so you got to be sure you're following Instagram, Twitter, at Josh. Speaking of which, actually it has nothing to do with that. This week, the schedule is a little bit different. So Tuesday, we'll be down in Fort Lauderdale. It'll be the night before signing day, signing day eve, so we'll be live from there and I'll have, I'll have some signing day stuff for you. All the latest whispers and Intel, I'll probably have some folks on the show. But also, I have it on good authority, Jesse and Colin, that's the authority, uh, the Pate State Speaker Series is going to commence. Some of those guests that you asked me to bring on the show, I'm told, no promises, but I'm told we may have a special guest Tuesday night. Look at that smile on my face, because I can never hide a smile. So, um, that's Tuesday. Wednesday night, immediately following signing day, I'll have a special recap show on this channel. So, it won't be Thursday this week, it'll be Wednesday, and then it'll be Christmas time for a little while. So, that's the schedule this week. Get ready. You can rest once this week is over, but you really got to stay locked in this week because it is a very, very important week. And I'm going to talk about all that in due time tonight. We got a lot of different directions to go. One of you asked me the other day about programs and teams that didn't necessarily make the playoff, and maybe they're not playing in the biggest bowl games, but they're just programs that you feel good about right now. Which ones are trending in the right direction? In other words, which ones will you really be focused on in 2023? Florida State football has to be chief among them. See what I did there? Yes, indeed, Mike Norvell and company. While everyone's been talking about recruiting and everyone's been talking about all the noise that always comes out of the state of Florida. I talk about the state of Florida all the time. This team right here, they beat LSU in week one this past year. And um, Colin, I'm gonna ask you to do something that's unprofessional, because we got a nice, fancy graphic here on the screen right now, and he just put it up, and there's no way you had time to read it all. But I'm gonna request Florida State schedule graphic for just a second, because I wanna illustrate something to you. Thank you, Colin. So they start off 4-0. There's a three-game stretch there. It's almost like a a flat tire in the middle of the season. They lost to Wake, NC State, and Clemson. Uh, all, All the games were competitive, and then they get right back on the horse, and they throttle everyone. They were playing really, really good ball down the stretch. It culminated with that night after Thanksgiving, that Friday game against Florida, and they finished nine and three, and I remember being on the Florida State 24-7 board right before the season. I said, what would be good enough? Everyone wanted eight wins. Well, they got nine wins. But more importantly, they got Jordan Travis back. Uh, They just got Jaheim Bell, the tight end from South Carolina. I think now they've reached that critical point. Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell's reached that critical point at Florida State where he's no longer having to just beg and plead for people to believe in him. Now he's got, you know, was that some Jimbo Fisher FSU B-roll? I, I know you didn't mean to, but I love it. Um, boy, that's a long time ago. So Mike Norvell feels to me like he's reached that point now where he's not having to beg. He's not having to say, hey, wait wait till you see what we can do. They can point to this last season and say, that's sort of a precursor. You know, we're not saying we're where we want to be yet, but how can you not feel good about Florida State going into 2023? And here's the other thing. It's not a lot, it doesn't feel like smoking mirrors to me, or smoking mirrors, as some of my buddies would say. Um, they took time and they rebuilt the inner core of the football program there. They could have microwaved it. You know, they, they could have popcorn and candy, um, cotton candied it. Yeah, the cotton candy approach. Uh, but that's just a sugar high. No, they, they went nutrition first. They went chicken. They went steak. They went meat and potatoes. And it's starting to pay off. So I feel good about Florida State. Uh, speaking of Florida State, the team that they beat to begin this past regular season, LSU. Feel good about LSU, too. You could really look at that SEC championship game one of two ways. You could either take, I think, the dumbed-down approach of saying, look at them. Look at them. They got beat by Georgia. They got owned by Georgia. I knew they were frauds. They never should have been there. Well, they weren't frauds. By the very definition of divisional play, the team with the best divisional record goes to play for the conference title game. They're not frauds. No one ever said they were better than Georgia. So anyway, that's the outlier. I would suggest you say to yourself, like I'm saying to myself, they were in Atlanta to begin with? They beat Alabama in year one? And mind you, that was supposed to be one of the best Bama teams in recent history. I believed it. And so I also believe Bama was going to beat LSU comfortably. Well, they did neither of those things, and that's year one under Brian Kelly. Here was the other concern that some had. I didn't necessarily fall in this camp, but some were concerned about The old acclimation period for Brian Kelly. How long was it going to take him? I'm not going to keep rubbing this in. It's just something we happened to pinata out of the way early on that that some other folks held on to a little too long. Uh, Brian Kelly came to LSU and I think put on a little different face. And it's a face that he never wore at Notre Dame. I'm not saying he's two-faced. What I'm saying is I think this is the feel I get. I'm not saying he wasn't a hard worker at Notre Dame. I'm saying there were some avenues in recruiting he knew he couldn't go down, so he never bothered to. Because he didn't want to run into a brick wall over and over again. That would have been a waste of his time. Well, some folks, I think, misconstrued that, and they took it to mean he was never interested in going down those recruiting avenues. I think he always was interested in it. He just knew it was going to be fruitless at one place, and now he can do it. And he's doing it. And so he's been completely dialed in. You haven't even heard a whisper of that guy not being totally dialed in in recruiting. Completely opposite, actually. I had a hiccup, sorry. Complete opposite. So I feel good about LSU because, look, they, they are just at the very, very outset of remaking that program into what they want it to be under him. So I feel good about LSU. I, Jesse's in the building, so I had to insert the following. I feel good about Penn State. Notice I have to lower the tone a little bit. Because that's what the last half of their season felt like. They lost to Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. Season's over, right? Well, for a lot of the country, that's when people tuned out from Penn State. And I, I know it's nothing to write home about, but a lot of teams would have kind of mailed it in there because their preseason goals are out the window. Well, Penn State didn't. I believe in giving credit when people do what they're supposed to do. So they did what they were supposed to do the rest of the way. They played like Florida State did the rest of the way. Now, you could could skeptically look at that and say, well, yeah, but, I mean, look who they played. Well, that's the point. They did what they were supposed to do. And there was never an ounce of quit. There was never an ounce of give up. And so if you want to criticize the modern-day player for doing that more and more, don't you have to credit the modern-day player at Penn State for not doing that? So that's part one. Part two is we know what's about to happen at quarterback. We know that it is the Drew Aller era. It is upon us now. Can't tell you how many days I've walked in this building, and producer Jesse has told me, well, you know, it, it, you could pick whatever you want to, whether it is inferior passing statistics, world hunger, whatever it is, it's all going to be solved when Drew Aller is at the helm. Quarterback, Penn State. Well, he's about to be. And so they finished 10-2 and two this year. Fourth 10-plus win season since 2016. Program's fine. Uh, Trending in the right direction. Should be getting prepared to have some of the best quarterback play they've had under James Franklin. Feel good about Penn State right now. TCU. I know it's pretty obvious because they're in the playoff at the moment. I don't think this is a one-hit wonder sort of program. Uh, It certainly has been a big hit right off the bat, but have you been paying attention to what they've been doing in recruiting. I think they're sitting at number 16 right now, just in the overall recruiting rankings. JoJo Earl, the uh, Bama wide receiver transfer, just committed there. I know they're in it for a couple other guys. So Sonny Dykes really, really quickly is turning TCU into a destination program. And remember, how this could not have come at a more opportune time for TCU and for the Big 12, frankly. Because what are we talking about right now? Well, if you go to CBSports.com or 24-7 Sports, a lot of the headlines about the Big 12 are about when Texas and OU are going to leave, and they just renegotiated their TV deal. Well, guess what helped greatly in that department? Someone not named Texas or Oklahoma playing really good ball this year. In fact, a couple of programs out there, TCU just among them. Well, here's the next question. In this brave new Big 12, the post-OU Post Texas Big 12, which is about to be upon us, it's gonna be a lot of air out there for someone to take up in that conference. Why not the program that's parked right smack dab in the middle of Dallas, Texas? TCU is well positioned. They got the right guy. Uh, they they are a destination for recruits and for transfers. A lot of kids are just flat out from that area. So kids, it's kind of like the South Florida effect. Some kids leave home initially and you happen to be the benefactor just for the sake of a kid wanting to move closer to home. Sometimes kids will move closer to home, and you just happen to be the program that's closest. You didn't even really do anything. You just happen to be a pinpoint on a map. So there's a lot going right for TCU right now. And lastly, this one is pretty obvious too, but I want to recognize them, USC. I think some people are taking the same incorrect tact on USC as they are LSU, when they look at him and they say, oh, look at him, they got exposed in the Pac-12 championship game. They shouldn't have been in the Pac-12 championship game, if you say it out loud. I know what the Vegas odds said, and I know that you recalibrated your expectation once they got in the season. Forget about the name Lincoln Riley. Forget about the name Caleb Williams. Just say the situation out loud. They fired a coach, they hired the new one, and they completely overhauled the roster. That shouldn't be a formula to to win a Pac-12 championship or to be in a position to play for one, but they were. So that's just a whole lot of gravy for year one, is what I'm saying. Uh, They will have teams on the field over the next several years that would run this team out of the building that they just put on the field. I believe that. And that's even with Caleb Williams at the helm. And look, they may have won the Pac-12 championship game as is if he stayed healthy. I've been going back and forth, unnecessarily so, by the way, with Utah fans, and I don't get it. It's like I'm not taking credit away from Utah. They beat them once. They beat them twice. Two years in a row, they've beaten a team twice to win the Pac-12 championship. All I'm saying is when USC has a 17-3 lead with the healthy quarterback and he stays healthy, it might have been a different game than the one where you went on a 44-7 run to end things. That's all I'm saying. that's pretty innocent, I think. So USC, I believe in. But look, the Pac-12 was the toughest conference for me. I could have put Oregon here. I could have put both teams in Oregon. I could have put Washington. UCLA's making a little noise, both in recruiting and in the transfer market, which could have the volume turned up on it a little bit later this week. We'll see, dot, dot, dot. Keep an eye on that. Uh, Jetfish in Arizona, I feel good. So I could have done like a Pac-12 only segment, as would be customary for Pac-12 but no, the last thing I want on this show, and it's, it's bitten me, you guys know, it's bitten me too many times. The last thing I want to be called is a Pac-12 homer. I've heard it my whole life, and so i got to give some love to the SEC. i got to throw some crumbs to the Big Ten. Can't just let them call me a Pac-12 homer. I can't tell you how frequent that was thrown my way in West Central Georgia growing up. Academy Sports and Outdoors, big presence in West Central Georgia. Maybe, maybe you live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Maybe you don't have one around the corner. But do you have one of these? Or, or do you have one of these? I'm holding up electronic devices that, depending on the airport, TSA may make you take out of your bag or not. You've you got Academy.com available to you, so there's no excuse. And by my calculations, there's still time. Christmas around the corner. Some of you have a little life hack figured out. Some of you do Christmas and New Year's combined. So you don't really have to have your presents until like the 29th or 30th. You can do it. Academy.com can help. And certainly if you can get there in person. Look, I, I don't want to live your lives for you, but I want to help you live your lives. And Academy Sports and Outdoors can certainly do that. If, if I am to believe some of the research we have and I am to know your lifestyle and my own, like I know our lifestyles, these folks right here, this bright, beautiful blue logo behind us, they got a large, if you put the pie chart of our needs in front of us, they got a large chunk of that pie chart taken up. So just pay them a visit. Oh, and by the way, they make the show free of charge. Academy Sports and Outdoors, academy.com. Whatever your preference, they are there for you and they're there for us as a show. I I had an epiphany just now Jesse and Colin, I need one word answers here. You can use the voice of God function if you want to. Someone told me the other day, and I don't know how I feel about it. Someone told me I'm in using my hands too much as I talk. Yes or no? No. No. Okay. Well, um, they said I was. So I went back and I watched the show and fast forward, and it, it's just this the whole time. So, um, Jesse, you're probably wrong. So I'm going to try try in this next segment not to use my hands so much, but there are no promises. Because look, if you don't talk with your hands, you just sit here like a serial killer. Who wants to watch someone talk like this? Gross. If I wanted this, I'd just go listen to the podcast. Okay, let's, um, oh, for the sake of keeping Academy as a sponsor, let's please continue. It's college football playoff prediction time. I know you guys thought I may wait to the week of, but no, no, no. I want this in your stocking long before Christmas arrives. So here we go. Fiesta Bowl, four o'clock, New Year's Eve. Hate the scheduling, but love the matchup. TCU versus Michigan. TCU, 200 to one national championship odds to start the year. I got a little stat for you. Those are the longest odds any college football playoff participant has ever had. Not to be outdone by far, Michigan was 50-1 to to win the title at the beginning of the year. So they're the fourth longest odds ever. So the first and fourth longest national championship odds ever for playoff teams in this matchup here. And a generation ago, as we start to dive into this game and predict it, in this very building out in Glendale, Arizona, what did we see? We saw Oklahoma versus Boise State. And that was not the biggest upset in history one of the very most consequential upsets in history, Um, and for a number of reasons. So, I'm certainly not saying if TCU wins this game, it's that kind of upset, but I am saying it's got that kind of vibe to it. Power Five versus Power Five, whereas that wasn't, but it's an established Blue Blood program versus someone who's really new at the table, and with that in mind, what would a TCU win mean? Have Have you prepared your mind, by the way? for, like, Georgia TCU or, <laughs> or Ohio State TCU in the national championship game? The answer is no, you have not. Let's ask ourselves if we need to prepare. Here's what I think I know. I think Michigan's going to be able to move the ball. I don't have many doubts about this. They're too good. Offensive line is too solid. Congratulations, Joe Moore Award for the second year in a row for the University of Michigan. Uh, they, are, they are balanced, not just statistically, but philosophically. They're very very balanced. Blake Corum is gone. Donovan Edwards is still there. I think that Ohio State game probably did wonders for J.J. McCarthy's confidence. These things I think I know. Here's what I want to know, though. Can TCU move it consistently? Because they average about 40 points, 41 points per game. 40, there it is, 40.3 points per game this year. So they're sixth in FBS when it comes to offensive points per game. Their problem potentially is defensively Michigan's fifth in total defense, points allowed per game, 13.38. We went to the second decimal place for you. That is stats and info when it comes to playoff time. So classic, classic irresistible force meeting the immovable object there. It's, it's no different than Hogan-Andre in 1987. What gives? Who gives? Are we watching this game at the end of the first quarter saying, oh, that's nasty. TCU's got 43 total yards what's happening? They're getting stoned. Or are we watching saying they got 190 yards in the first quarter? Boy, they're on pace to do what? Wow, they popped it to Quentin Johnson twice already. That's why we play the games, friends. That's why we don't let this decide it for us. We know Michigan's favored. We're going to go ahead and play it out anyway. TCU, I don't think, can get into this trap, like Ohio State did, of convincing themselves we gotta stop the running game. Now, for them, it was we gotta stop Blake Corum, which became we can't stop Donovan Edwards. Um, you don't stop them. Let me just spoil that for you. You don't stop those running backs. They've got the kind of offensive line they have, and they've got the kind of skill at tailback and at quarterback, frankly, to where they will get their rushing yards on you. You can win a game and give up 163 yards on the ground. You can do that. It happens all the time. Do you play situationally good enough to win? Because here's the kind of stat I would, I would really focus my gaze on if I was TCU. I wouldn't be so worried about the fact that Donovan Edwards ran at 216 versus Ohio State, 185 versus Purdue. His last six games, Donovan Edwards, 8.3 yards per carry. Oh, that's very impressive. And congratulations to him in all sincerity. Congratulations to him. I remember talking about that kid, National Signing Day last year, and how big a pickup he was for Michigan. You're not wasting your time. Stars do matter. But that's not what I'd pay attention to. If I were TCU, I'd pay attention to the fact that I once played Texas this year. And Texas, we thought, had a really explosive offense. Texas was favored against us by over a touchdown. Texas was supposed to be the end of the line for our undefeated run. And instead. They scored zero offensive touchdowns against us, and I am led to believe that them being one of 13 on third down had a little bit to do with that. Run the ball on me. I'm not asking you to, but I expect you to. I need to beat you on third down. I frankly don't care what you do between the 20s. I trust my offense enough. I'm not going to have to hold you to 17 or 10 points like it was that day in Austin, Because, hey, if I'm TCU, my offense was nothing to write home about that day either. But if I can have not that level of success, but some success on third down, that's how Michigan's rushing statistics could get a little warped on you, and you still have it right there in the palm of your hands in the fourth quarter. Both of these teams are excellent second-half teams. It did not work out that way for TCU against Kansas State, necessarily in the Big 12 championship game. It did the first time they played them. But, hey, here's the flip side of that coin. Michigan's been really good in the second half, too. If you're listening on podcast, there are six games on the screen right now where Michigan either trailed at the half or led by two points, one point, six point. They ended up winning by 21, 24, 22, 35, 22, 21. So they've been a second-half team, too, which is why I don't always say this, but I really do think it's imperative TCU is the one that grabs the early lead here and I don't necessarily mean, oh, it's 7 to nothing with 13-38 to go in the first quarter. I just mean they need to, they need to be very, very multiple offensively in what they do because they've got to have the stun gun effect. They've probably got to work the perimeter a whole lot. I think they've got the most underrated tailback in the postseason right now, but they've got to be able to be multiple. Get Quentin Johnson involved early. Get that tailback involved early. Get Max Duggan involved early. You got to score early. You cannot be getting to the half against Michigan and it's 13 to 10. It's tied up. I know what's happening in the second half. I know because I've watched these teams all year. Let's take a look at what the model thinks here because we already know what the Vegas number is. Right now it's Michigan minus seven and a half. And as we start to take a look at this, and by the way, the model says eight, uh, so it's a pretty tight line. I was at the semifinal last year where Michigan. Played Georgia. Got beaten pretty soundly. I shared this story last week, I think. Should have brought the picture with me. Because the shame of it is, it's right here on my phone. But I can't just show you the screen. That would be unprofessional. So there we are on the field. Michigan loses to Georgia. And all these dudes are standing there. All these young guys from Michigan. I'm standing off to the side. And J.J. McCarthy's standing right next to me. Donovan Edwards is standing right next to me. Uh, Coram, I think, had been there. He was standing right next to me. And they're just standing there watching Georgia. They're watching that confetti fall down. And they're, they're, they're not doing it way out in the open where they're looking for publicity. They're, off, they're, all, they're close to their tunnel. But they were just taking it in. And I remember looking and thinking, I really think these dudes are going to be back. I, I don't think that's the last time they're going to be on this platform, on this stage. Well, here they are again. I'm mentioning that anecdotally. Because I know they've only been once. But you talk to any coach and player who's played in this environment, they tell you there is no substitute for that experience. Everything about not just the game. The game's the least of it. This field's still the same dimensions, still four 15-minute quarters. All that's the same. It's everything around it. that's really new. And so when you've had the benefit of going through it and you're facing someone who hasn't, it matters. I think Michigan's going to win the game. I think Michigan's going to end up covering in the game. I believe this will be competitive for a little while. And I believe this is a worthy opponent for them. But the overall level of athlete and that offensive line that Michigan has, I think they're totally comfortable. If they don't pull away early, that's fine. They hardly ever do. But what they don't do early, they usually do eventually, even against Ohio State. They even succumb to it. So the odds to win the national championship right now, Michigan's plus 290. TCU's plus 1,600, directly correlated, obviously, with the fact that Michigan's favored by over a touchdown in this game. I think last year matters, and I think that they are going to take this thing, and I think they're going to cover. I'm not calling blowout, but I am calling, as it turns out, double-digit Michigan win. Let's not take a moment's break, except i got to take a little sip out of the chalice. Thank you, chalice. Um, Let's continue. Why not? Because right after that game, we will have the game that I'll be at in Atlanta, and that is the Peach Bowl, and that one starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Colin, here's a better end point for you. Ohio State, Georgia. That's right, the Buckeyes are in the playoffs, in case you haven't heard. Peach Bowl, 8 o'clock, New Year's Eve. Who has more pressure on them here? You know, history tells you, if you're trying to repeat for something, that's when the pressure starts to build, isn't it? That's normally the way it's happened. Guys talk about how much the pressure built and how, boy, there's a spotlight on us. There were crosshairs on our forehead the whole year. I think Ryan Day has immensely more pressure on him than Kirby Smart could have right now. Kirby Smart would never tell you this because he doesn't feel like this. No one in the Georgia program would tell you this. I, on the outside, am going to tell you it's a total house money situation with them. If they lose 63-10 to 10 to Ohio State, you know what they have? A national championship last year. They're not defending anything because you can't take it from them. So they're just champs last year, and they won the SEC this year. That's what it would be for Ohio State. If they lose this, and especially if they lose it convincingly, you got competitive pressure and you got hot seat pressure. I do not believe Ryan Day would be on the hot seat. I don't believe that. But you would you would be under so much competitive pressure, which he already is, I would argue. Uh, there are people who doubt that guy in his own fan base, big chunk of them, doubt that guy's ability to get this done. Uh, the reason I think this is such an ironic matchup is because about a year ago, they were saying the same thing about the guy he's about to face. They were saying the same thing about Kirby Smart, which is why I don't participate in or in it all that much because I know How quickly, how on a dime that stuff can shift. See, if he wins this thing, and then they go on to win the national championship, uh, all of a sudden, his stock is sky high, especially if they beat Michigan en route to winning the championship. All is forgiven. Look at Ryan. What other coach out there could have pulled the team from the ashes? And in reality, it's just eight quarters of football, you know? So pressure is important here. Because it does one of two things, the age-old adage. Does it make a diamond? Does it burst the pipe? Well, we saw what happened in the first go-around against Michigan. They get another shot here. Let's dive into the game. Did you see in that Michigan game, just speaking of which, did we see what we thought we saw in that Michigan game? I know what I saw. I stood on the field the whole game. I watched the replay like five times. I didn't see what some of you tell me you saw. Some of you tell me you saw... Michigan bully Ohio State again. You saw him physically dominate Ohio State again. Watch the game however you want to. Uh, That's not what I saw. Saw a convincing Michigan win, though. That scoreboard's the only thing that matters. Or is it? If your season's over, that's all that matters. But if we're going to play more games, could I learn something from that game? Uh, Yeah, I think I could. I think your approach in that game may have been detrimental. Now, Sure enough, you may have temporarily stopped them some things you wanted to stop, but did the outcome of the game, was that necessary to give up in exchange for stopping the run early on against Michigan? Anyway, I say that to say, if you didn't know any better, you would think Georgia is about to physically manhandle Ohio State. That, I don't think is going to happen. I think Georgia is the physically superior team here. I think they're physically superior to everyone in America. So I certainly would give them the physical advantage, but I am not walking into Mercedes-Benz Stadium a couple of weeks from now thinking, uh, what do we think, um, midway through the second quarter? Is, is that when the toll will start to be paid? Will we make it to halftime, or will it just be like the LSU game? I don't expect that at all. I don't, I don't think anyone's really underestimating Ohio State. You would make a grave mistake if you thought physicality was going to count them out in this game early. You may beat them. You're favored to beat them. I don't think it's going to be strictly because of that. That's the first thing. The most important player in this game. Got one for each side. And I want you to think along with me. I think one side's easy. I don't think the other side's as easy. In fact, Georgia fans, you're listening in Brunswick right now, maybe. Cairo? Mispronounced by some as Cairo. Who's the most important player on your team? If you're an Ohio State fan, you've already secretly been watching film. Who's the most important player here? A.D. Mitchell, I think, is the most important player on Georgia's team in this game, and I'm going to tell you why. Statistics can be deceiving sometimes. You may look at Ohio State's pass defense and say, oh, nothing special there, nothing to write home about. Well, let's get a little more nuanced. Late kick stats and info, playoff special here. They are McGrady is shining when it matters the most. Ohio State passing defense, they are second in the nation. Did you know that? No, you didn't, because I have to fine-tune the filter a little bit. Ohio State's passing defense is second in the nation against running backs and tight ends. They're 109th in the nation against wide receivers. What is the passing profile of this Georgia team? Do they go four or five wide All-American at receiver? Of course they don't. Their leading receiver is a tight end. He's a really good one. His name's Brock Bowers. Their second leading receiver is a young man by the name of Ladd McConkie. None of you know him. Just be honest with you. I do. People who watch Georgia a lot do. The nation doesn't know Ladd McConkie. I fully expect him to clip that and listen to it over and over again. I do the same thing. Their third leading receiver is Kenny McIntosh, a running back. Their fourth leading receiver is Darnell Washington, a tight end. Three of the four are running backs and tight ends. That is Georgia's receiving profile right now. Ohio State's second in the nation defending running backs and tight ends. It's the wide receiver they struggle with. and so. Either that script is going to get flipped or someone's got to really step up at wide receiver for Georgia. And I'll do credit to Ladd McConkie. A.D. Mitchell's the guy who will probably have to do that for Georgia. And it's funny because if you go back and you think about the spring game last year, it was the A.D. Mitchell show. Then you fast forward to the national championship game last year, A.D. Mitchell show. I have a sneaking suspicion if Georgia wins this game. You're looking at a guy who could again steal the show. Keep an eye. Keep an eye, because Ohio State is surprisingly good defending the positions that Georgia has leaned on in the past game. Here is the other side of the coin. What am I going to get out of C.J. Stroud? I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of passing yards. Well, reasonably, a lot of passing yards. You've got to calibrate that expectation for what you can do against Georgia defensively. Um, I would love to have Kirby Smart and Schumann could sit there and Muschamp could sit there. They got like 37 defensive coordinators in the room. And I would like Dr. Colin and Nurse Jesse. That's just the way the cards were drawn. I'm sorry, guys. I would like them to come in here with truth serum in hand. And so we inject all three of them. So they just have to be honest with us. If I got them here and I could ask them one question, I would ask them, how much do you respect? CJ Stroud's running ability? Because I think they'd laugh. I think that would say, we don't respect it at all. We're not worried about it. We dare him to take off because that's what we've seen from him all year. Film doesn't lie at this point. It's not like they've worked through four non conference games against Catala Community College and Roast Beef Tech. He's played and he's played in meaningful, high leverage pressure situations. He won't go over the cliff. A very good player. But he does not have that in him. And so a guy that you would, you would look at, and when you knew about him coming out of high school, you would think is going to give you a true dynamic dual threat, you don't have that. Um, but he does have the capability to do it. It's just, and, and a couple of times this year he has done it. I just wish he'd do it more. I think they're going to make him prove he will do it. Not that he can. Will he do it? Then and only then do you adjust your defensive game plan. I, it look. Some guys will go over the cliff. Marvin Harrison is one of the baddest players in America uh, and probably the baddest on that team. I never doubt that guy's willingness to look at the edge of the cliff and run full speed right off. He just trusts that he can fly. He'll figure it out on the way down. Not everyone else on that team's like that. And the quarterback's one of them. It's just the way it's been this year. I'm not saying anything Buckeye fans don't know. Well, here's the thing. You still got time to rectify that. You get what most people don't get. If you're C.J. Stroud in Ohio State, you get a second chance. And so there's the fan, and it's it's spinning full speed. Will you stick your face in it? That's why they recruited you. That's why they gave you that scarlet and gray helmet, and that's why they disproportionately put the weight of the program on your back. You're the quarterback at Ohio State. You got to suck it up and do some dirty work especially if you're going to beat Georgia. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm very interested in is Georgia dominated Tennessee. Georgia just took the life out of Tennessee's pass game. So there is a school of thought out there that because Georgia so thoroughly dismantled the Tennessee passing game and they didn't have any success on them that day, Ohio State won't be much better. I don't think you're throwing for four or 500 yards on Georgia or anything like that, but I don't necessarily think it's an apples to apples comparison. I was talking to a defensive coordinator the other day and he said, well, he asked me actually, Hey, what do you think about Georgia? Like, what do you expect them to do? And I, well, I kind of beat around the bush as if to say, what are you getting at? He said, look, they may, they may lock down Ohio state too, but that Ohio state passing game just conceptually is a world different than what Tennessee does. And Tennessee you get them figured out early, they're figured out. Ohio State, a little bit different. Um, so I'm interested to see if there is a different kind of effect here early. You know, this is the kind of game where we always get stuff unexpected. One of the unexpected things we could get is we, we're early in the second quarter, and Ohio State's got like 175 yards passing. They've already hit two explosive plays. They've done to Georgia what Michigan did to them. They just do it earlier. If that happens, well, obviously it's game on if that happens because you're, you're making the other guys respond. You're making them match points instead of Georgia just building an early lead and then suffocating you. But all that is dependent on, uh, number one, guys other than Marvin Harrison Jr. stepping up at receiver, which they're capable of doing. And number two, C.J. Stroud, face, push, push it in, push it in the fan a little bit. How aggressive will Georgia be? Because when we go back to that Tennessee game, uh, there was one thing they did that afternoon that they really hadn't done to that point this year, and that is, in true Coach Yost fashion, it's like, it's like Kirby pulled him to the side right before they took the field, after he went to Titus and told him to call the game fair, and he just told him blitz all night. They crossed the line of scrimmage, taking every last one of you out. You just blitz all night. Uh, well, it was an afternoon game. They blitzed all afternoon. They just got after him and Hooker all afternoon. They normally don't do that. It's not their MO, normally, but it was that afternoon because they knew they could do it. Do they feel like that puts them in the best position to win? Do they go after C.J. Stroud like that? It greatly helps if you know where he's going to be all the time. You see how those legs keep coming into the equation? Boy, it it sure does make things different. A defensive coordinator, I am not. But common sense, I do have. And I know if I can promise you're going to be pretty much in the same spot every time, I'm not all that scared to blitz you just take my chances. If I don't know, it's a little bit different ball game. Let's take a look at what the model thinks compared to what Vegas thinks. Vegas right now has Georgia minus six and a half, depending on when you're watching this video, that could have changed. But right here tonight, uh, December 18th, there's Georgia minus six and a half. The model is a little bit more narrow, got Georgia minus five and a half. I know it sounds like I'm beating up on Ohio State here. I think they got a really good shot to win the game. Uh, but I'm not going to pick them to win the game because the physically superior team here is also the one that I trust to go over the cliff. And I don't trust Ohio State to do that. So if this gets to be a high leverage four quarter game, one of these teams has a championship pedigree, championship profile. The other one has the capability to have that. I could easily see Ohio State winning the game. I will make them prove me wrong in order to do it. I'm picking Georgia to win the game. If the model for the record had to pick a team, And the spread, it would be Ohio State plus points. I'm taking Georgia to win the game. Current odds on favorite to win the national championship, minus 135. Ohio State is plus 350. And that is directly correlated with the line on this game. Um, Before we get to the playoff, oh, let me take another sip here. Not my only means of hydration, by the way. It's been a while since we pulled the public spring water out. So just for photo ops sake. There's that. If you're listening on podcast, ignore the last 10 seconds. Let's dive into um, some national, national Signing Day talk. Hey, there's a lot getting ready to go down, by the way. You know, this time last year, you didn't know Travis Hunter was going to Jackson State. What's going to happen this year? Okay, so here we go. I got some things to keep an eye on as National Signing Day approaches. One class I want you watching closely so you don't get taken by surprise is Oregon. Oregon right now, and I want to make sure I'm up to date, up to the minute, team rankings. Oregon, as of airtime, has the 13th ranked class in the country. Now, here is the zoomed-in version. Dante Moore is their top-rated player right now. Five-star quarterback, number 11 overall player in the country. Uh, He may stick with Oregon. He may not. There's a lot of smoke around UCLA right now. I don't know because I haven't talked to him. I'm just saying, obviously, that's a big pendulum swing potentially. Now, on the other side, that would be a sad day for Oregon. On the other side, hey, Bo Nix is coming back. That got announced right before the show, so that's good. But also, you've got Mateo Uyangalele in the mix. And by default, DJ Uyangalale in the mix. One via recruiting, one via the transfer portal. Could be a package deal, we don't know. Uh, they're still in it for Caden Proctor, top overall offensive tackle out of Iowa, who is in Tuscaloosa as we speak. This class could easily finish in the top 10. In fact, I think they will finish in the top 10. Talking to Will Fong last week, we had him on the show. He said, hey, if they were to keep Dante Moore and land all these guys, if they thread the needle, you're looking at potentially a top five class. Keep an eye on Oregon. One way or another, I think they're going to be a big mover on National Signing Day, and that's this Wednesday. Miami, I don't think I need to say anything else at this point, but I am going to, in a friendly way, remind you, Miami's on a war path right now. It's not over. They are currently ranked number four. And uh, they could shock the world. You know, if you want to look around at shock potential, when you've got the staff they do, you've got the resources they do, and you've had the time that they've had. They weren't in a conference title game. They aren't bowl prepping. It's just been recruiting nonstop. If something comes out of nowhere Wednesday, you could be looking at the culprit right there, Mario Cristobal. They're in it for Mark Fletcher. Just an example. It's a four-star running back right now. The Crystal Ball would favor, I think, still Florida. There's a lot of smoke around Mark Fletcher in Miami. So just one player to keep an eye on. Uh, Inside the U has a lot on this. I think they had a rap a few hours ago. About this weekend. You've you've got the dead period kicking in at midnight tonight. They're in it for Damani Brown. That's a four star safety. He's got a brother, by the way, a DB at at UCF. Didn't give up a touchdown this year. Could be a package situation there. So they're fourth right now. They could go higher. Just keep an eye on Miami. Uh, As is usually the case, as is tradition this time of year, we're not going to do a National Signing Day what to keep your eyes on segment without talking about Nick Saban. Still the head coach at Alabama as of tonight. Where are they ranked? 15th? 16th? Oh, no, they got the number one class in the country. Um, They're not done. So they got the number one class in the country. They solidly have the number one class in the country. They are in it with multiple additional five-star players. And producer Jesse and I were doing some quick math today. It's not likely they land all these guys. But there's a path where Bama ends up with, like, one of the highest-rated classes ever. And it's not even all that far out of the realm of possibility. James Smith and Quay Russo, the two Montgomery kids, uh, both five-star caliber guys in my mind. They're in it for both of them. Caden Proctor is in town right now. That's a five-star offensive tackle out of Des Moines. Uh, Desmond Ricks they're in it for. They're going to have a class ranked in the 320s. I have no doubt about that. Is it the low 320s, upper 320s? Could Nick Saban care less? No, but I do. I'm fascinated by such things. They are putting together one of their best recruiting classes they've ever had. So you make of that what you will. It certainly does not feel like anyone's hit the brakes, even in the slightest, in Tuscaloosa. And because I know they've become your favorite program on the show, why don't I just blanketly mention Colorado? I don't have a single name. That's the point. This time last year, Deion Sanders was at Jackson State, and Travis Hunter seemed like the biggest lock in the world. He'd been locked in with FSU for months, and we're getting ready to just formalize it on National Signing Day, and then poof, mushroom cloud over the whole operation. And come 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we had talked more Jackson State on the show than we had A&M, and m and a and landed the top-ranked class of all time. Is he going to do that again this year? I wouldn't bet against him. I have no clue who we're talking about. That's the whole point. I wouldn't have known to mention Travis Hunter last year. But I know what kind of traction his arrival at Colorado's gotten. I know there are a lot of kids interested, and I know the last thing they're incentivized to do is let you know they're planning to shock the world if they do indeed plan on shocking the world. So let's just keep an eye on Colorado for very generic but obvious reasons. National Signing Day is Wednesday. We are going to be wall-to-wall all day on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, which is different than this one. So actually, we're going to have two specials. We'll have that signing day show all day. Make sure you are subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Then, after the dust settles, we'll be right back here on the Late Kick YouTube channel that night, and we'll do a recap show. And if that wasn't enough, I got more to talk to you about. I told you there's a lot going on. A lot going on. Transfer portal. Still ablaze, and we've got a lot of movement going on, so buckle up. I've got at least six to talk to you about. Javion Cohen has committed to Miami. This happened today. That it was, was the number one rated offensive lineman in the transfer portal from Alabama, a number eight overall player, and he is now a Miami Hurricane. And keep in mind, you got to view this not in a vacuum. you got to view this sort of in conjunction with what Miami's doing in recruiting. they got the number one offensive lineman out of the portal here. They've got two five-star tackles committed, both of whom figure to play early. I mean, I'm not promising play-in time, but good grief, you show up with, with no casts on your legs, you're probably going to play on offensive line for Miami next year. So Javion Cohen, he's in the barn. He's done. 6'4", 305. Oh, Just played at Alabama last year. He was a starter at Alabama. That's, that's one domino today. Another one we're waiting to fall that hasn't fallen yet is Devin Leary, quarterback, once from NC State. I guess we don't refer to him as being from there anymore. Now look, he visited Auburn this weekend, which is noteworthy, because when we last spoke, we thought Grayson McCall, quarterback from Coastal Carolina, we thought he was visiting Auburn. He didn't. Devin Leary did. So you may think, "Uh uh-oh, is Hugh Freeze about to land him? Well, not if the crystal ball has anything to say about it, because a couple of our guys, Hummer included, I think, seem to think that Kentucky Is the betting favorite. I know a lot of folks inside that program at Kentucky think that they are the betting favorite to land Devin Leary. So, is Mr. Leary going to dive into the SEC? And if he does, is it going to be the University of Kentucky that lands his services? We'll see. Uh, Rivaldo Fairweather, speaking of one of those programs, this is a guy I told you to keep an eye on. He is committed to Auburn. That's the tight end from FIU, who most of you haven't heard about, but I need you to know. Rivaldo Fairweather, 6'5", 245, spoke about him last week, had that big game against Middle Tennessee, eight catches, 162 yards, three scores, started playing football, I believe, his junior year of high school, just a basketball guy before that. Ultra long, ultra athletic. And I think that he, along with Jaheim Bell, two tight end transfers, one going to Auburn, one going to FSU, I think they have dropped themselves in prime position could just be breakout players offensively this upcoming year. Uh, because there is not a ton of firepower on that Auburn offense right now. And he is a guy, you're looking at some of his highlights right now if you're watching on YouTube. He's a guy who can be a game changer for you. And so in an era where everyone's in love with those, those flexible tight ends, he is one of them. And Hugh Freeze probably turning cartwheels down there today over landing his commitment. Ernest Hausman has committed to Michigan. And he got reclassified. Not reclassified. I guess he got it reevaluated. So sometimes, because so many guys are going in the portal, you just you put a grade on them, and then you say, okay, that's a tentative grade. It's kind of like when you're rating tornadoes. Preliminary, it's an EF two. We could bump it up to an EF three later. Well, Ernest Hausman got bumped up. He was like an EF four. Now he's an EF five because he's the number one overall rated player in the transfer portal. But he's not in the portal because he's committed to Michigan. Michigan's killing it. In the transfer portal, and I think you probably are aware they're in the playoffs, so good things are happening at Michigan. He was a linebacker at Nebraska this year. Michigan got a good close look at him because I think he had 10 tackles against them. He had 12 tackles against Wisconsin. He's a true freshman this past year. He had 54 tackles. He's good. And so Michigan, again, finding guys in the middle, the interior of their defense, very low risk, very high reward here. Ernest Hausman to Michigan. Keonta Goodwin is in the portal. Now, if you were watching Signing Day last year, that was one I think we did live. He was 6'8", coming out of high school, by the way. Offensive tackle. Uh, Highest-rated recruit that they've had in Lexington in forever. And he was a true freshman. I th- Jesse, how many games did he play in as a true freshman? I think he played in, like, every one of them. He was, how many? 11 games. So, so they played 12. So he was in 11 games out of 12 this year as a true freshman. He's entered the transfer portal. Remember, I don't know that I've ever, in football, I don't know that I've ever seen a recruitment come down to Kentucky and Michigan State, but this one did. Well, now he's in the portal, and there's smoke around Louisville. I'm not sure how much smoke there is around Michigan State. Uh, I don't have inside intel on this particular portal entry, but Keonta Goodwin is a massive, massive human. 6'8", 340, best football clearly still ahead of him, you would think and so that guy now could be the number one overall rated player in the portal when those rankings get updated. He just hopped in. Uh, Lastly, this happened today too. Jeff Sims. Remember him? Jeff Sims, quarterback at Georgia Tech? He's now the quarterback at Nebraska. Matt Rule, first off, this is a big get for them. Secondly, there's a lot more going on at the quarterback position behind the scenes in college football right now than just Jeff Sims transferring to Nebraska. There is a kid by the name of Dylan Rayola, number one player in the 2024 class who was committed to Ohio State until about two minutes ago, and he decommitted. There's Nebraska smoke. I know you're not used to me telling you there's Nebraska smoke around quarterbacks at any kind of high level. There's Nebraska smoke. They got, they got Sims already. Uh, so I presume he will be their starter this coming year. I, look, I watched him as a freshman. I was sort of enamored with him. I think his growth got stunted a little bit because he was just wasn't playing for a great team down there. Um, I don't know how good Nebraska is going to be. I think he can get developed at the very least. And so watch Jeff Sims. Let's see what. Let's see if he pulls uh, the same kind of reclamation project we've seen up and down the Big Twelve and uh, the Big Ten for that matter over the past couple of years. It has taken me a while to detach Nebraska from the Big 12. Still not used to it. So the transfer portal's on fire, man. And remember, got another wave coming. Got a wave of commitments, but got another wave of entries coming. So this is not even close to over yet. Are you having fun yet? Is the transfer portal era everything you thought it was going to be? One last thing to do before we get out of here tonight. Two things, actually. I need you to like the video if you haven't already, uh, because only a quarter of you have. Thumbs up. And... um, Subscribe to the channel. That's it, that's all, thank you. Bold predictions revisited. What a fun exercise, what a fruitful exercise this has been for us. I asked you in August, what are you predicting? What would you bet your own money on? Well, here's one to start us off tonight. Let's go to Texas. Quinn Ewers, bold prediction here. Quinn Ewers will not start until week six. Hudson Card only gets dethroned due to injury. Uh, This was a nine for me on the boldness scale. I thought there's no way that Quinn Ewers isn't starting until week six. Now, if he didn't win the job outright, which he did, I thought the Bama game at the latest was going to be when they yanked Hudson Card and they put Quinn Ewers in. Well, as it turns out, the inverse happened, but they didn't yank anybody. Quinn Ewers started game one, started game two. He got hurt versus Bama, and that was when Hudson Card came in. Uh, this was, I don't think, ever going to play out that way. Now, Quinn Ewers was going to win that job, if not, if, if not immediately, then pretty quickly thereafter. And that's how it went down. Uh, the next one is sad. If we had the rights to the Sarah McLaughlin music, I'd start playing it right now. Bold prediction from Auburn. Auburn wins nine plus games this year. Auburn finished five and seven. And your boy here only put an eight and a half on the boldness scale. And I'm not ready to apologize. I grew up near this program. I have watched the sorcery and the wizardry, probably just outright witchcraft that has happened with that program when expectations are low. Nothing, no record prediction about Auburn football will ever be more than an eight and a half for me because I know my history. So no, they didn't come close to winning nine games this year, but I'd, I'd put the same rating on it again. When that Penn State game happened in week three and we were there for it, things really got wobbly really quickly after that. If, if it was a close loss, it would have been different, but they got, they got thumped that day and they never really got it back. They lost to LSU after that, Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Bama, and Brian Harson's out. And that's it and that's all. Moving on. West Virginia, since we're in the how many games you going to win category right now, Mitch said West Virginia, their over-under was five and a half wins. He said hammer the over with confidence. My bold prediction is if the line is seven, still take the over. So they're going to win more than seven games. West Virginia went five and seven. Mitch crashed and burned. Here's the problem. I agreed with Mitch, and so we both crashed and burned. How did we get fooled? Well they, as I recall, had to rework their secondary, but elsewhere, I felt pretty good about the team. And they lost a close competitive game to Pitt, which I thought they should have won, and I never say that, but truly thought they should have won it in week one. Uh, That wasn't the problem. The problem was then they got handled by Kansas the next week, which did not turn out to be the worst thing in the world, but they never got on any kind of roll. They never won more than two games in a row at any point, and one of those was Towson. is the, the real mind-bender of this whole thing. Let's go back to the preseason. Mitch is out there making his proclamations. I'm agreeing with him. And then a little birdie flies in. And the birdie says, hey, I got some intel for you. I've seen the future. West Virginia is going to beat Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. I would have said, here, take my money. Bet the over, bet the over, Bet the over. They beat Baylor, OU, and Oklahoma State and still didn't win more than five games. That tells you everything you need to know about how volatile the Big 12 was this year and how unpredictable it was week to week. What an entertaining conference. What a nightmare for Neil Brown. Guy kept his job, though. I didn't think he would. He kept his job. Next up, how about this? Will said Kansas will make a bowl game, including a win Over rival Kansas State. Kansas is going bowling. I put a 9.25 on this. I am told that is the second highest boldness scale rating. Yeah, that's the second highest boldness rating I put on anything that came true. 9.25. And lo and behold, now they didn't beat Kansas State. But how about that? They didn't need to. They still made a bowl. In fact, they lost. They lost six of their last seven games and still made a bowl. So hats off to Lance Leipold and Kansas uh, because they're 6-6, six and six and they're going to play Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl, and I want to do what I think is a, a, very, a very meaningful exercise here. We do it occasionally, and it's, just, it's a game called let's make fun of how terrible Kansas has been up until this year. We're going to start in 2013, and I'm going to read you the win totals. Three. Three, zero, two, one. Three, three, zero, two, six. Which one of these is not like the other? And you kept your head coach? What more could you ask for if you're a Kansas fan? Lastly, uh, well, I guess this technically is still in play, but I think we know the answer. Uh, The bold prediction was, after signing the number one class in the country last year, Texas A&M will not land in the top 20 for their 2023 recruiting class. Now, I know that you may have heard that Texas A&M is not exactly parked right up there in the top five this year, and they're not, but they are still 15th. And they do have the fifth highest average grade per player in the cycle. They're just not taking a lot of kids this year. I mean, their average player is is 92.44. Only four teams with a higher recruit average grade than that. But they're sixth in the SEC, if that means anything to you. But there they are. They're parked at 15th. Uh, They've still got guys they're in it for. So they'll close strong. They'll be fine. They'll finish. Where would you guess, Jesse? Somewhere between like 8 and 12 or somewhere like that? Probably, maybe. They're not going to finish outside the top 20. That's the point. So I put a 9.5 on this as a boldness rating. And I'm right. If you would have said outside the top 10, that's where it would have been fun and competitive. They're not finishing outside the top 20. And that concludes Bold Predictions. Uh, I want to remind you guys, we've got a a very, very weird but exciting week coming up. Uh, First thing you need to know is Tuesday we'll be live from Fort Lauderdale, and we will do a whole lot of National Signing Day Eve stuff, but we will have a special guest. It's not going to be an interview, more a conversation. It is someone you have asked me to bring on this show. It won't be the only one we do. This is the reward. 150,000 subs. Thank you. And there'll be multiple thank yous. And then Wednesday night, National Signing Day all day. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports Channel. Wednesday night, we'll have a show here. We'll have a, a, an edition of Late Kick here, live from Fort Lauderdale. No show on Christmas night, because it's Christmas. So the next time we do a show after that will be the next Tuesday. And uh, then we'll be really, really ready for playoff day. So a lot going on this week. Make sure Ramen Noodle Express about to crank up for bowl season again. Make sure you're following on the socials at Late Kick Josh. Until Tuesday night, we're producer Jesse, we're director Colin, and our entire production executive team here. I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your evening. Take care and God bless.